You're listening to the news on RTHK. AM, FM, and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning and welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday the 8th of March. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. Global stocks have slumped and energy prices have soared on fears that the worsening Russian-Ukraine war will slow the global economy. Investors rushed into haven assets and currencies. President Biden hosted a two-hour call with the leaders of France, Germany and the UK in a bid to raise pressure on Russian President Vladimir Putin and coordinate a response. The White House said the four leaders affirmed their determination to continue raising the costs on Russia for its unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Ukraine. Yesterday, senior US lawmakers said they plan to introduce bipartisan legislation banning US energy imports from Russia and Belarus and suspending normal trade relations with both countries. However, the moves to boycott Russian oil have run into resistance from some European states. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz cautioned against banning Russian oil and gas because its supply supply can't be secured any other way at the moment, he said. The boss of one of the world's biggest fertiliser companies said the war in Ukraine will deliver a shock to the global supply and cost of food. Sveintor Holstester, the boss of Yara International, said fertiliser prices, which were already high before the Russian invasion, could continue to soar. He said, it's not whether we are moving into a global food crisis, it's how large the crisis will be. Hong Kong Financial Secretary Paul Chan said on Monday, the government is still aiming to distribute the first batch of consumption vouchers, worth $5,000, to some 6.3 million eligible residents next month, despite the worsening pandemic. Mr Chan stopped short of announcing when exactly the money will be handed out, saying the operations of many stakeholders involved in the scheme have been disrupted by the recent surge in COVID infections. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by James Wong at Lead Securities and David Friedland from Interactive Brokers. With a view from Japan is Nick Smith of CLSA. Stocks on Wall Street slumped, extending four straight weeks of declines as investors worried about surging commodity prices and the impact on inflation. The S&P 500 tumbled 3% to 4,201, its biggest fall in 16 months. The Dow lost 797 points, or 2.4%, to close at 32,817. The Nasdaq Composite Index tanked 3.6%, leaving it at 12,831, and now in bear market territory, more than 20% below its all-time close. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index ended 1.1% lower, also in a bear market. London's FTSE 100 dropped 0.4%. The MSCI Asia-Pacific Index slumped as much as 1.7% on growing concerns over the economic fallout from the war in Ukraine. Hong Kong stocks were the worst performers in the region, witnessing the biggest sell-off in seven months and hitting a near six-year low on the worsening situation in Ukraine and a record COVID-19 death rate in the city. The Hang Seng plunged almost 1,100 points at the low of the day, dropping below the 21,000 mark for the first time since July 2016. 
The benchmark index ended the day at 848 points, or 3.9 percent lower, at 21,058. The Hang Seng Tech Index slumped more than 5 percent before ending the day 4.4 percent lower at, at another record low. Tencent dropped below $400, down 3.8 percent. Alibaba slipped as much as 5.7 percent at one stage before closing over 3 percent lower at an all-time low of $96. And on an extraordinary day of volatile trading, oil prices soared to the highest level since 2008. After the U.S. said it was discussing a potential embargo on Russian supplies with its allies, Brent crude oil rocketed almost 18% to above $139 a barrel before easing back, and it's now at $126.53 a barrel. That's about 7% above Friday's close in New York. After Germany said it has no plans to halt Russian energy imports, natural gas prices in Europe surged almost 80% on Monday, climbing as high as 345 euros a megawatt hour, before slipping back to trade at about 214 euros. Now that's still more than 16 times where they were trading one year ago. Elsewhere in the commodities complex, copper, aluminium, nickel, and palladium all soared to record highs as traders fretted oversupply disruptions from Russia. In one of the most extraordinary moves ever seen on the London Metal Exchange, the benchmark nickel contract surged more than 18%, above $52,000 a ton. Gold rose one one and a half percent to one thousand nine hundred and ninety-eight dollars an ounce after hitting two thousand earlier in the day for the first time in nineteen months. And European wheat prices in Paris jumped fourteen percent to a record. The U.S. ten-year Treasury bond yield rose five basis points to one point seven nine percent, and the U.S. dollar index, measured against a basket of currencies, jumped eight percent higher. The euro is down zero point seven percent to a two-year low of one dollar eight and a half cents. Japanese yen is at 115 and a quarter. Sterling is almost one percent weaker, one dollar thirty-one cents, and ten Hong Kong dollars and twenty-five cents. The Chinese yuan is unchanged at six point three two and a half in offshore markets, and Bitcoin dropped two and a half percent to thirty-seven thousand nine hundred dollars. U.S. stock index futures are slipping again、uh, this morning in early trading. That's dragging Asian stock markets lower once again. The S.X. 200 in Australia、uh, is currently down about one third of a percent.、Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan right now、uh, is down about one percent. Kosby in South Korea. Uh, that's off about one and a quarter percent, and it looks like the Hang Seng is going to lose about 180 points or so at the open this morning. It's eight ten. Let's welcome our guests. We have with us James Wong, managing director and chief investment officer at Lead Securities. Morning to you, James. Good morning, Peter. And also with us is David Friedland, managing director of Asia Pacific at Interactive Brokers. Morning, David. Morning. Well, as you heard, there an extraordinary day、uh, in the markets across all sorts of complexes:、uh, agriculture, agriculture, metals, stocks, currencies.、Um, the latest news: the, the U.S. wants to ban Russian oil, although not all of the EU in agreement on that.、Um, James, what, what do you think will be the、uh, the impact of that on both、uh, both the markets and the economy? Uh, it's it's going to be、uh, pushing up inflationary pressure、uh, a 
think we can see from the uh, shooting up of break-evens and uh, the dive of uh, real yields. And that's probably why we see gold prices surging uh, over $2,000 per ton uh, for a brief time. And uh, this, uh, we are turning a little bit more uh, pessimistic on U.S. equities than about two weeks ago, because right now the scenario in which a soaring food price and energy price uh, cripples uh, consumer spending and consumer sentiment and in turn drags down GDP growth is looking much more probable than it has been uh, two weeks ago. So we, we really uh, think there are a lot of uncertainties right now, but before we had in one of our rosier uh, scenarios, uh, U.S. equities will just experience a, a, a style shift this year, and uh, we probably will see some upside surprise for earnings guidance and earnings growth uh, for the first quarter. But right now, this this uh, looks like it's not going to be happening. And if um, and if uh, they do cut off Russian gas, I suppose the obvious retaliation is Putin could cut off uh, European gas. Or so if they cut off Russian oil, that could be the retaliatory weapon, which is just going to make things even worse, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, we, we think the uh, the European countries are not really uh, in the same line with the the states in terms of cutting off uh, Russian gas or Russian uh, natural natural gas. Uh, it's mm. it's kind of improbable or, or impractical for them to do that. And we can see from the net European natural gas in dollar terms surging for more than 80%, uh, for a little less than 80% last night. Uh, it's it's uh, they, Even though the European governments are talking about uh, having alternative sources or, not, uh, or cutting about 80% of Russian imports, I, I don't think it's going to be happening anytime soon because Russian Russia, uh, Russian oil input uh, outputs accounts uh, for about one tenth of the global outputs of uh, crews every day. So uh, ten, that's, that's about 10 million barrels per day. It's, it's not really irreplaceable. I mean, over time, uh, shale gas and shale oil will uh, uh, replace that, uh, that uh, proportion. But the thing is, right now, for this year, I don't think there is any quick solution to finding an alternative. And if Russian cuts off oil or gas outputs to Europe, we can see why the, the European uh, sentiments for their inflation has been up for uh, the last two weeks, and it's been going up really quick. That's that's probably because I think people in Europe uh, are hoping, are, are expecting a surge in inflationary pressure as well if Russian does that. David, you've been involved in the markets for a long time now. Have you ever seen anything like what we've witnessed in the commodities markets in the last 24 hours before? <laughs> you know, every every time you say you haven't seen something, something else comes along. So, no, I haven't. Um, there were unique times. I guess you can look back at 2008 yep. when you had the financial crisis, crisis and... Um, other um, other times of uncertainty, but I've, I've never seen anything like this where we don't know uh, what's going to happen in the future. I mean, this you know, the, 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 the market's pointing one way, which obviously is down. You have interest rates looking up. You have longer-term yields at roughly 3%. Um, it's, it's just been crazy, and I have no idea what's going to happen. It really depends on some um, someone's going to push a button or not is what it comes down to. Mm. The, the Russian uh, Deputy Prime Minister, Alexander Novak, 
uh, was saying uh, overnight that replacing Russian oil deliveries to, to Europe would take more than a year. And he said that um, a ban on Russian oil would lead to catastrophic consequences for the global market and could push prices to over $300 a barrel. Is, is that possible? I don't see it getting that high. I, I mean, you need a certain level where consumption will drop drastically and there'll be other sources of, you know, the world's innovative at some, at some point. So $300 a barrel, I don't see how that can possibly happen. But then again, we've heard this before where we were going to run out of oil. We're going to, um, yeah, I think it was peak oil. That was a big thing going back a couple of years ago where we would be running with oil by now. But I don't know. I don't see that happening. I think, as, as James says, we'll find alternative sources before that can happen. Mm. But even if it got anywhere close to that, the, we'd, we'd be talking about stagflation, wouldn't we, across the global economy? Yeah, I think it would be a disaster. And, um, you know, it's a bit of an antidote. I was talking to my my, uh, my parents who were in the States, and you know, we read about inflation here, but they, they, um, they're quite elderly, and they went to the supermarket last week for the first time in quite a while. And they were shocked at how everything across the board has gone up in price, 30, 40 cents um, on, on you know, 30, 30, 30, 40% on, on some dollar t- type um, items or smaller priced items. So this is, this will hit hard. Mm. Um, James, one of the other consequences of all of this is we could see a Russian debt default, couldn't we? That, that's going to have uh, very big consequences as well for the, the financial system. Uh, yeah, I think uh, taking Russia out of SWIFT is not that big of a deal because uh, SWIFT accounts for about 38% of global trades and uh, uh, the European clearing system counts about 36% and it's already it's really using a SWIFT uh, reporting system. So uh, so uh, Russia has basically no other way except to use the CIPS system for uh, used by the Chinese Forex uh, uh, exchange. Uh, forex clearance system, but that that counts about two percent of global ra- uh, global trades. And uh, the China government, Chinese government, when they choose to buy energy or buy commodities, they usually use a pretty uh, a, a strict spectrum of different uh, sources. They don't really want to increase their risks by using one single big supplier. And mm. uh, even though. Uh, we can see Chinese and uh, the, Ch- the Russian governments are forming a bond right now. But I don't think China is going to change that policy in terms of commodities purchasing anytime soon. They they might just spike up uh, purchase from Russia a little bit, but mm. it's probably not going to be helping Russia a lot. Mm. Um, D- David, what does this all mean for stocks? Uh, last night... Uh, Ed Yardini, who's probably one of the most famous long-term market bulls, has now turned into one of the biggest uh, bears on Wall Street. He sees the S&P 500 suffering a 16% decline this year to end at 4,000. What's your thoughts on where stocks go from here? That's a good question. I, I actually think the, the interest rate increases are priced into the market, and it's going to come down to whether or not there's going to be settlement, what happens with, with the war. Um, if the conflict ends soon, I think we, we end up with a rally by year end. Um, earnings are strong. Companies seem to be doing well. And if we can control inflation, um, which I think is partly priced into the market, I think you'll end up um, a, lot of buy, um, a lot of buyers. But, you know, what I've been reading is the hedge funds, big money's left the market or are leaving the market and retail um, have piled money in. Um, I think it was to the tune of $50 billion so far this year. 
Um, so we'll have to see if they pull out of the market or they can just hang tough. Okay, James, what, what are your thoughts on Asian markets and particularly here uh, in Hong Kong, which, you know, the Hong Kong market, the Hang Seng started off the year quite well. It, it's turned into a bit of disaster, hasn't it? So is, is it, yes, yes. In, it doesn't seem to be insulated from this at all. Whenever there seems to be a global crisis, Hong Kong seems to take it on the nose. Exactly. It's the ATM machine of the world and it has never been isolated from whatever, what is going on outside of Hong Kong. So it's Counting from 1991, I think there there were about 40 occasions in which uh, S&P was down by more than 11%. And among those 40 occasions, Hansen Index tend to follow uh, with a probability of 98%. So the, it's playing catch-up. Uh, we've seen Hansen hang tough uh, two weeks prior to this plunge. So, but in, in the past two weeks, we've seen Hansen increasingly uh is diving increasingly fast so i think uh if there is a equilibrium price for hand saying uh based on what smp has been performing this year it's probably around twenty one thousand three hundred points but uh we've seen it undershoot yesterday already mm. so um smp is about uh 14.6 percent yesterday from its autumn highs and uh use that percentage as the indicator with uh, <clears throat> Hansang is probably down. I think I think twenty one thousand to twenty one twenty one thousand three hundred is probably a equilibrium price for for Hansang. But uh, uh, we've seen southbound money uh, pretty much helpful for the past week. Uh, they've been buying the dip, but their market power is apparently not enough compared with the uh, foreign money selling. David, are you seeing any signs of people? wanting to look at Hong Kong stocks at these types of levels? I, I think so. I, I think, you, you, you know, every time there's a dip, uh, money does flow in. Uh, but I, I, you have to keep in mind, we have a new generation of investors the past uh, couple of years. They're new to the markets. They've never seen a bear market. So they've been taught, buy when the market comes down. And at some point, will they turn around and flip and say, well, this could keep going or are they going to keep coming in? Will I have any more ammunition? It's really hard to say. And... And we've got our own self-inflicted problems as well, haven't we? We've got the highest death rate in the world now per percentage of the population from this latest wave of COVID. How much of an impact is that having on the local markets? Um, I, I think, well, the, the press around the world is, is not, it, it doesn't sell well for the markets, but it doesn't really hurt the, the companies that are listed here, in my opinion. I mean, the death rate is obviously heavily tilted toward elderly and the low vaccination rate. Um, so I don't know if it has that much of an impact at this point. But the biggest issue we have is obviously the brain drain or people in it, uh, leaving Hong Kong and the finance fields being um, being serviced. Yeah, well, we had some uh, some more data. A total of 5,082 people departed from the city on Sunday. That takes last week's tally now to almost 23,000 people leaving from all ports. And official figures showed a net outflow of uh, over 71,000 300 residents left in February. Um, James, what sort of impact is this having on, on Hong Kong? I think it's we're starting to damage in Hong Kong as an international city. Uh, the, the mass recently or the outbreak recently has been the last stop for some people I know. And uh, they've moved to Singapore or other Asian countries uh, as, in, as instructed by their companies. But I don't, I, I don't think money is going to be uh, going out 
for long because Hong Kong is still the only gateway that you can get through to China. So money is going to be back, but talent is going to, I think they're going to stay out of Hong Kong for a while. Mm. And the, the financial secretary, he said he wants to move ahead with his $10,000 voucher scheme, $5,000 hopefully coming next month. But he didn't, couldn't say when. Do you think that's going to make a difference? Yeah, not really. I don't think money is really an issue right now. People just want to be safe and not to get in, infected. Mm. David, what, what do you think? The, the scheme looks like it's going to go ahead. I suppose the one thing that stands out, a lot of people are saying there was an ideal opportunity here to link this to people getting vaccinated, but the financial secretary chose not to do that for convenience sake. What do you make of that? I was, I was disappointed to hear that. Um, it, you know, he did make the comment that those in need of the elderly, so he wanted to be fair and give them um, their fair share of money, but... I frankly, I think there should be a scheme where if your income is above a certain level, you don't receive anything and double the um, and pass that numbers on to those who get vaccinated above the age of 60 or 65. Yep. James, do you agree? Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, thank you both very much. Stay safe. Have a good day. That's uh, James Wong, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Lead Securities. David Friedland, Managing Director of Asia Pacific and Interactive Brokers. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.24 and a half. On the phone from Tokyo now is Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA. Morning, Nick. Good morning, Jim. Um, so you, we had an extraordinary day uh, in the markets yesterday, particularly in the, uh, the commodities uh, sector, driving energy prices much, much higher. What impact is that having on Japan? Uh, higher energy prices? Well, um, obviously with the uh, nuclear power plants uh, shut down, um, Japan's a lot more uh, exposed to, uh, to energy prices than it has been in the past. It, it is a country that, um, that has done a fantastic job in reducing its um, energy intensity over time, but, um, but certainly that's, uh, that's going to be uncomfortable. So when we look at inflation, for example, um, you know, the headline number looks like we don't have a whole lot, but that's, that's mostly because of the downdraft from um, the previous prime minister having um, strong-armed the, the telco companies to, to cut their prices. Take that out, and, and we've got um, a couple of percent or so. So we, we'll see a surge in inflation from um, something in, in March, but particularly in, um, in April. And can, can, it find, can Japan find alternative sources from, from Russian um, coal and gas uh, and, and oil if it needed to? Well, I mean, it's, um, it, it's gas comes primarily from uh, from Australia. Um, it's been um, improving the uh, the amount that it gets from um, uh, from the US. Obviously, it gets um, oil and gas from um, Sakhalin too, up in the uh, the Northern Territories that the uh, the Russians took off Japan in the, uh, the closing days of the war. Uh, which you look back on that and say. That's the reason why Japan doesn't have a whole lot of dealings with Russia. So, you know, as a com- an economy as a whole, it is uh, surprisingly insulated from um, uh, from these problems. But um, uh, gas, I think, 
the, the best thing that Japan can do to her to alleviate this problem is to start getting her nuclear plants starting up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not popular, but you remember at the, the tail end of last year, um, Kishida, uh, the prime minister, said um, he wants to get them restarted, and he was thinking mostly of COP26, the, uh, the um, greenhouse gas. Uh, Japan cannot... Um, uphold its uh, its promises under COP26 without restarting nuclear. Now he's got one further uh, reason for absolutely having to, to restart those things. And does this have implications for the Bank of Japan? Um, it's been defending uh, this, what, 25 basis point ceiling on 10-year JGB yields um, now for a while. But obviously people are, are flocking into US treasuries and, and driving treasury yields uh, lower after the last few days, although they did rebound a bit overnight. Is, is that helping the Bank of Japan at all? Um, I think that the uh, the Bank of Japan is going to hold absolutely steady. Um, so uh, you know, all of these years, we've not got a whole lot closer to uh, the target of two percent inflation. Um, <clears throat> I would have thought that the uh, the Bank of Japan is going to um, going to leave things absolutely in place, um, and the um, the tailwind it gets from you know, Japan actually wants a bit of inflation, so um, mm. we'll be there pretty close to uh, to target by um, uh, by April time. And what does this mean for Japan's stock markets? Is, is, uh, are the Japanese financial markets reasonably well insulated from, from Russia and any fallout from there? Well, Japan's... Um, you know, Russia is about sort of the... Um, Japan's about the 10th largest uh, trading partner for Russia. Uh, for uh, Japan, Russia is even smaller. It's got a small uh, trade deficit. Was it $681 um, billion with... Um, and with um, with Russia, um, so a small trade deficit with uh, with Russia, um, it buys sort of oil and a certain amount of fish from Russia and sells it um, cars, car parts, and uh, a, 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 and machinery. Uh, but for the auto companies and the um, machinery companies, it's uh, it's a drop in the ocean. So. Mm. It's reasonably um, reasonably insulated, but uh, obviously markets are, are, are jitterous everywhere. So, um, actually, we're uh, we're outperforming um, global markets um, reasonably well so far this year. So, outperforming was it uh, World X US by two point two percent, and a bit less than that against um, uh, global markets generally. And what sectors in the Japanese market would you look at in in this sort of crisis? Um, I, I think it makes sense to be just uh, um, looking increasingly at uh, defensive sectors. Uh, what I'm suggesting is uh, get yourself into um, domestic rather than uh, than global sectors. Um, consumption has been absolutely hammered through the uh, the pandemic, uh, just because Japan has been so. Uh, a, a, um, perfectionist about uh, trying to drive down her uh, case counts. So I would say domestic side, things like um, uh, the, uh, the retail companies look, uh, look quite interesting. Um, and then lightening up a bit on the um, sort of the interest rate sensitive, things like uh, 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 banks and financials, for example. <clears throat> so, so financials are the things you would keep away from in, in particular, presumably in line with what's happening elsewhere in global markets. Yeah, I mean, I think um, longer term, you'd have thought that um, interest rates will be headed up and uh, and, and value and uh, high dividend yield will do very nicely. But over the short term, I think um, uh, they're, uh, they're getting sold off at the moment. And I, I think that's understandable.
Nick, thanks very much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. That's Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Tokyo right now, uh, Japanese stocks are down about 1.1%. The ASX 200 in Australia off about a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea is falling quite sharply. That's down about one and a quarter percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 140 points lower. Brent crude oil trading at $120.53 a barrel right now. Gold is at $1,999 an ounce. Thank you very much for tuning in this morning. Stay tuned for the COVID updates coming up after the news with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast for this morning. Fine and dry, rather cool in the morning, maximum temperature of about 23 degrees, and then fine and dry in the next couple of days as well. Uh, There is a red fire danger warning in force. It's 16 degrees right now, 57% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Andrew Shosky with the half-hour news. Hong Kong people have been making use of a new self-reporting platform for COVID-19 self-tests. Three hours after it went online at six last night, the platform showed a queuing number of more than 240,000. IT expert Francis Fong from the Information Technology Technology Federation said the site appeared to be working smoothly and he was able to log on in only five to ten minutes. He said there were issues with verifying information, but that the website is good given how quickly it was created. It's uh, pretty easy and straightforward. The only thing I actually think is about there are more things that can do control and checking. For example, how to identify whether the one who record is actually the one, the uh, ID card, is it real, etc., etc. But I think in lieu of a short time, so I think they only can do it at this moment, and I hope they will actually change it better. Overseas, Ukraine says Russia has continued to shell numerous cities, including Mariupol, Volnovka, Sumy and Kharkiv, preventing the evacuation of the civilian population. The foreign ministry has urged all countries to put pressure on Moscow for a ceasefire. Maria Abdiva is a research director for a Ukrainian think tank who lives in Kharkiv. The bombardments of the residential areas by Russian aircraft continue a daily basis and they start usually in the evening when it's dark outside and the bombardments go throughout the night and every morning we've got new awful reports of new losses among civilians and new destroyed residential areas here in Kharkiv. The talks of Russian officials saying they do not target civilian infrastructure that is something you cannot believe. And that is look like cynical way uh, of how Russia behaves now. Britain, Canada and the Netherlands have announced the formation of an international coalition to provide long-term support for Ukraine. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson met his Canadian and Dutch counterparts Justin Trudeau and Mark Rutte in London, where they invited others to join the new grouping. Mr. Johnson said the Russian leader had underestimated Ukrainian resolve and Western unity. Today, the UK is joining our Dutch and Canadian friends to mobilize more practical and sustained support for Ukraine. This is the moment for Ukraine's friends to create a coalition of humanitarian, economic and defensive military support to ensure that Putin fails. 
The United Nations head of humanitarian affairs has called on all parties to allow safe passage for civilians fleeing the war in Ukraine. Martin Griffiths told an emergency meeting of the Security Council in New York that civilians should be allowed to leave in the direction they choose. He also called for safe passage to allow the U.N. to deliver desperately needed aid, especially medical supplies. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to COVID Update. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. In a couple of minutes, we'll be talking to uh, public...